we first gathered together in the rec center in the beginning of June of last year and just saying, God, bring some people to be a part of a team of people that are going to say, we want to help create a community of people that are a living life for your worship, for on mission for the sake of your name. And so in order to do that, we just started working through, hey, these are our values. This is what we're going to be about. I told you guys, this is our DNA. It, it, I, don't, I can't tell you what Doxa is going to look like five years from now, but I can tell you that the very core of who we are, what we're about, what we're doing, who we are is going to be based upon Jesus worship, community, and mission. That we love Jesus, we're about Jesus, that this isn't about me, it's not about you, it's not about creating a name or a cool and better church for somebody to come to, that we are here because we are a group of people who are broken and are messed up, that have found Jesus to be our hope and our life and our joy and the reason that we draw breath. And so because of that, we are a group of people that together and individually live life as worship to him, that Everything that we do and all that we are, every, it bleeds into every part of our being, everything that we do in worship to him. To, to say, because of who you are and what you've done for us, we are going to offer back our lives. And then we are going to live together on, in community. That we understand that Christianity, there's no concept of Christianity in the Bible that is a, a, like me living on an island. There's no concept of Christianity that it's just about you and your walk with God and it's just between you and him and a personal relationship. That While there is a personal, intimate relationship between the Christian and Jesus Christ, that we're not on an island. And the way that we know him and, and come to grow in him is through community. And that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are celebrating and partaking of tonight, that we are in a covenant community with other believers, that we're going to share our lives deeply, that we're going to be open about our weaknesses and our frailties, that when we mess up, we're going to repent of our sins to each other, we're going to encourage each other, we're going to build each other up. That's what we're called to do. And then that we're not called to do that, just have a happy club. I love you guys and I can just hang out with you guys all the time, but that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to be a community of people living on mission. And that's really what we long for. I was talking with Miranda and Alicia uh, before we started and they were, they were talking about a couple of tweets that I sent out that, uh, that guys, young guys in particular, are are being less and less responsible. That for the first time in history, there's more women that are in college, more women that are on a career path. Uh, it, the, if you look at the numbers, there, women are becoming more and more responsible, men are becoming less and less responsible. But here's the interesting thing. Those same guys that are just like living in the parents' basement or just goofing off or doing whatever in their eighth year of college, you know what they spend their time doing? An average man between the ages of, I think it's 12 and 30, spends something like 20 hours a week playing video games. That's the average. 20 hours a week playing video games. But do you know why they spend 20 hours a week playing video games? Even though they're not taking responsibility for their, for their life and not finding a wife to love like Christ loved the church and starting a family and exhibiting the, who Jesus Christ is to the world, there's still a draw and a desire to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's the missional component of being a part of Doxa Church. And 
not just being a part of Docs, but being a Christian in general, is that God has called us to a great mission. And we, that he has been working from the very beginning, creating a people for his glory. And we get to be a part of that mission that he has been on from the beginning of time, that he was on when he sent Jesus to die for us and resurrect on our behalf. And that's, isn't that pretty awesome? So that's what we've been working through that's what for the past six, seven months. And then we started talking about what is a disciple. And now we've been working for the past few months about doctrine. This is what we believe. We focus more on who we are than what we're going to do because we believe that's important. It's important to lay a foundation of who we are before we focus on what we're doing. But now we're entering a new phase where we as a, as a community are going to covenant together and say, hey, we're, gonna, we're owning this thing. We're owning this thing. And we're going to join in mission together as a community. And so as we're doing that, there's one doctrine that we haven't covered yet. I'm not going to teach on it tonight if you guys help me. Um, or if God helps me or if I remember, I'm not going to get too excited. But it's the, the doctrine of kingdom. And I'm not going to teach on it tonight because we're going to be exhibiting it all night as we partake of the body and blood, as we covenant together as a community on mission. But I did want to uh, just to take the opportunity to open the scripture and let God speak to us from there. So we're going to look at three passages. We're going to look at three meals, three meals of the kingdom. First, you can look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. I'm going to try not and cry tonight, but we'll see how that goes because um, I, I just, that will probably happen. Luke twenty-two fourteen. 14. And when the hour came, he, that's Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And we had, when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And began to question one another which of them it would it could, it could be who is going to do this. So this is the first meal. Jesus is sitting down the night that he's going to, that he is going to be betrayed, the night he's going to be delivered over, and he's sitting with his disciples, and he's reclining at the Passover meal. So this is a meal, can't go into all the significance of it, but the, the Jews have been celebrating for hundreds and hundreds of years, remembering, what, you guys remember what they're remembering? Remembering the Passover, and what was that? Those when, right, so they're slaves in Egypt, 
Pharaoh won't let them go. Moses trying to get them out of there. And the last thing is, he says, the angel of death is going to come in and he's going to kill the firstborn of every household. But he tells the Jews, if you put the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, then the angel will pass over your house and will spare your firstborn. So they, and then when that happens, terrors throughout all of Egypt. Pharaoh says, get out of here. And they leave. And God says, you should remember this every year as a memorial to remember. But you know what? they didn't realize is that they weren't just remembering what had happened hundreds of years ago, but it was signifying what was going to happen when Jesus came. That was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. And so as he's sitting with his disciples at the table, and he takes, he has a whole new significance to as he breaks the bread and as he passes the wine to the disciples. He says, you're sharing in my body and my blood. As we partake of this meal tonight. This is a meal. Not because of how much you're going to take, because it's just a pinch. But it's a meal in the significance of what it shows. And that Jesus Christ himself, God in flesh, came. That should flabbergast us every single day. That should blow our minds that the God of heaven and earth came as a man and offered himself up for us, offering his broken body and shed blood so that you and I would be brought back into intimate relationship with the Father. God, who we could not call Father because we were separated from him, now we get to call Father. We've been united to him. That's, that's an amazing thing to celebrate. That's the first meal that we're going to look at of the kingdom. I mean, think about it. When Jesus came on earth, how does it say that he started out? His, 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 his ministry. He was tempted by Satan out in the wilderness when he was fasting for 40 days. He overcomes him three times by uh, quoting the word to Satan. He comes out of the wilderness clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us. And then it says, what does it say that he does? he starts to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom has come. That we've been like sheep who have gone astray. We're out running around doing our own thing. Like nobody's in charge. There's chaos going around. It's, it's darkness. It's, it's no hope. But now the king has come back. And it's going to be set right. Any, you guys probably aren't. Lord of the Rings geeks. Anybody ever watched the movie or read the books? You remember when the king has returned to Gondor? And he's going to set things right. Like the kingdom has crumbled and has, it shows like there are glimmers all over the kingdom of it's once the glory that it once had. The glory days of this sense all throughout the kingdom that, you know, one at one time it was better and the Somehow, the king is going to return and he's going to set things right. And the once glory will be the future glory. That's what Jesus had done. He's coming up and saying, the king has returned. And the glory, it may not look like it yet, but it's coming. I'm establishing my rule and my reign. And by his broken body on the cross and his shed blood on your and my behalf, that was the seal that it is certain. It is certain, it is here, and it's coming. 
Let's look at another meal. Look at a couple of chapters over at Luke chapter 24. This is a long passage, but I just want to read the whole thing. So Jesus has died. He's resurrected. Um, the, the women have seen him at the tomb. And they've run back to the disciples and told them, hey, we, we saw Jesus. The, the grave is empty. He's alive. And the guys are like, yeah, sure. But Peter... And John, run ahead, look at the tomb. He's, he's empty. They don't know what's happened. So something's going on. They don't know quite what's happened. And so on that very day, two of them, that's two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Think about that conversation. Like, what is going on? Like, their world has been turned upside down in the past three, four days, and Jesus has been who they thought was the guy who's coming to set everything right. He's going to overthrow the Romans, and then he's arrested, and he, they, they keep, maybe they keep thinking like something's going to happen, but he's, he's killed. I mean, what is going on here? And now his body's missing? What, what is the deal? Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a, a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women, some women. <laughs> it's amazing, just parentheses, that God, Jesus appeared to women first. I mean, that's, this is kind of a very cool thing because women were a little less than second class at the time. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they, had seen, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Think about that. I've heard Jonathan speak at BSF and open the scriptures and share, and that was awesome. Kramer was in D.C. last week, and he got to sit down with Mark Dever, if anybody knows who he is, for a three-hour conversation about Jesus and church. And he was like, Man, it was mind-blowing. It was awesome. It was sit down and hear him talk about how they do things and why they do things. Think about what it was like for Jesus himself to open the scriptures to them. And the crazy thing is that they were all about him, and he showed them how they were all about him. 
beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, he acted as if he were going farther. They urged him strongly, saying, No, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, see echoes of two chapters earlier, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. He's not crazy, they were saying. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them the breaking of the bread. So this is, this is Jesus sharing the table himself with his disciples after his resurrection. And it said that um, when, when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The kingdom had come. The king had come and he had for certain begun the process of setting everything right. And their hearts burned within them because they realized all of life was about him. Joy and hope and peace, future past, present, it was all found in him. Let's look at the third meal. Did you arrange that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Too bad it didn't have breakfast. Um, it would be much cooler. Look at Revelation chapter 19. This is the one I'm really going to hold it together in. Because so we're looking at the, the first meal with the disciples. We're looking at the first meal with his disciples after his resurrection. And now we're looking at a future meal in the kingdom. Verse, uh, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. So John seeing in the future in heaven. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. So our worship tonight was awesome. The 20, 25 of us that are in this room singing and praising God. It will be awesome the end when we sing and praise God. But here is 
all of the covenant community of the Lamb, the whole family of God, all his sons and daughters, and when they open their voice and whoever in the world is leading them in worship breaks out on the guitar, I'm hoping it'll be a guitar and not a harp, but even if it's a harp or a guitar, whatever it is, and they all start singing, it sounds like thunder echoing in heaven. And they sing, crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now that will be a meal. That will be a party. Can you imagine that banquet table when we all gather around that? I have no idea what it's going to look like. It's going to be like a giant table 100,000 miles wide. Or are we all going to be at little tables all gathered around? I have no idea. But that's going to be an awesome party as we gather, as we sing and we drink and we eat and we celebrate our reun- us being reunited to our bride, Jesus Christ. Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 21 and verse 1. This is why the marriage supper of the Lamb is so awesome. That feast, that banquet. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's us, guys. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Think about that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne, as Jesus Christ said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So as we partake of the meal tonight, we are partaking of a meal together as a covenant community of believers, celebrating that the kingdom has come, that the king has come and has set things right. And though all has not been made right yet, it's like a domino. It's just just waiting to fall. It's all in line. And so we celebrate this meal. We remember what he did for us. But we also celebrate it looking forward to what he will do. 
when the kingdom is consummated and he completely has finished setting everything right and everything new. And this is the significance for us tonight. That we partake in that for the first time as a community of believers. We partake in that celebrating that kingdom but also remembering, thinking about, weighing out, covenanting together that we are on that same mission just to proclaim and establish that kingdom. As Jesus came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand, I have come to set everything right. We declare the kingdom has come and he has He is setting everything right. And we get to be a community of believers that are exhibiting that. That are showcasing that. As we partake of the bread and the juice tonight, we're not just partaking it, declaring and remembering the work of Jesus Christ. So that's the ultimate thing that we're declaring and remembering. But also, biblically, in Corinthians, it tells us that we partake of the bread and the cup and we partake of it in unity together. Remembering that we are one body, that we are united by the body, and we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why tonight, when we partake of communion, that we're not going to have, there's nothing wrong with it, but tonight we're not going to have a bunch of little cups and a bunch of little wafers. We have one loaf of bread, and we have one cup. Don't panic. There's a, we have a way to do it. But one, one bread, one, one loaf, one cup. We're partaking of that together in unity. So the way we're going to partake of it, just to let you know, is we're going to break the, the, the bread, and you're going to come and take a bit of it, you're going to dip it, and then you're going to partake of it. It's called the intinction method. All right? So let's just cover real quick, what does it mean that we are covenanting together? So there's two parts of us covenanting together tonight. And by the way, if you're not ready to sign the covenant tonight, it's, really, it's no big deal. It's gonna, we're going to have it up here when you come and partake of the communion as the music is playing. You sign your name, partake of, the, partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you're not ready to sign it yet, don't worry about it. Still, partake of communion with us. But what does it mean if we're covenanting together as a community of believers? What, is, what does that mean? Well, you guys have read the document. You see what it means. Well, let's just think about three things that it means. One thing is it means that we, as we are signing the paper and we are partaking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we, we own each other. Does that make sense? We own each other. It means that you now have a claim upon me and I have a claim upon you. <clears throat> it's like this. As Christians, we're all supposed to love each other and care for each other and bear each other's burdens. But the truth is, I cannot love all the Christians all over the world and bear the burdens of all the Christians all over the world and I can't confess my sins to all the Christians all over the world and they can't confess their sins to me. It means that, that, as we are, that we as a body, as a group of people, as a family are going to covenant together to say that you have a claim upon me. That, that when I sin and I mess up and I hurt your feelings and I disappoint you and that will happen that then I have a 
a heightened sense of responsibility to you to confess my sin to you. And you have a heightened sense of responsibility to me to not just cut me off or to cut and run or to disown me, but you understand that as we are a part of the fam- a family together, a local family together, that we have a responsibility to each other. And I can't just cut and run from you. And you can't just cut and run from me because we have ownership of each other. We have responsibility to each other at a deep level. It means that it means that I, as a leader, have a responsibility to you. I, I have a responsibility as a Christian to everybody, but as a leader, as an elder, as a shepherd, I have a special responsibility to you, and you have special claims upon me. It means that we're a family. Family shares together, loves together, suffers together, rejoices together. It means that when one person hurts, we all hurt. It means when one person weeps, we all weep. When one person rejoices, we all rejoice. It means we have a special responsibility to each other. It means that I have a responsibility to, to love and to shepherd the flock that God has provided for me. And it means that you guys have a responsibility back to me. Does that make sense? The first thing is that covenant means that we own each other at a deep level. The second thing it means is that we own the mission. What we've tried to do with Docs is create our mission to reflect the Great Commission. I don't think a church gets to make up what the mission is. Jesus already gave it to us whenever he was on his way off of the face of the earth and he said, go into the world and make disciples. And so our mission statement is, Docs exists to make disciples. And then we just define what a disciple is. It's somebody who joyfully worships Jesus with their whole life. And that means that that. You don't, you don't glorify and love and serve Jesus because you have a sense of responsibility or because you have to or because somebody else is holding you accountable to. You're doing so because you have found Jesus to be the source of life and joy and hope and comfort and peace. And you feed off of that and that is that brings joy to you. And so you're going to live a sacrificial life, sacrificing your life for each other and sacrificing your life on mission but we get to do so joyfully because of all that he has done for us and all that he means to us. What that means is that the mission isn't my mission. I wrote it one day. I came up with it. I put it down on a piece of paper. We blew it up on a banner that's sitting in my garage. It's on our website. But now we own the mission together. It's not my mission. It's Jesus' mission. And it's our family's mission as we partake of the body and blood tonight. We covenant together and say, this is what we're going to be about. We're going to point our lives collectively together on the great mission that God has provided for us. It means we own that together. It means that because we all forget and we all trip up and we all like, like get thinking about our, just about our careers or just about our family or just about my own comfort or what I'm, my own deal. And it means that whenever I forget that you guys have a responsibility to like say, hey, Randy, kind of getting off base. 
means we have a responsibility to each other to do that, to keep each other on mission. And so it means that we, we own each other. It means that we own the mission. And the third thing is it means we own the vision. The vision is just the way that we work out and live out the mission in our community, in this area. Here's what that means. It means that your job and my job is not just to do some task around the church. I'm not looking for people to do tasks. God's not looking for people to do tasks. I'm looking for people who own the mission so much that they throw their lives into figuring out how do we make this happen on the grand strand in the year 2013? How do we mobilize our time, our energy, our talents, our money to that end? How can we be creative and, and think about, God, how can we get the message out? How can we make disciples? How can we do it? And right now, our vision is pretty simple. We're going to start this church. We're going to be based, the heart of what we are, who we are, is we be based in community groups. That's, that's because my job isn't to disciple you. Your job is to disciple each other. My job is to help, and Dale's job is to help equip you to do the work that you call to do. And the work is to make disciples and to glorify Jesus in all of your life and all that you do. And so... That's going to be based in community groups. We're going to gather together on the weekend to celebrate, to worship, to preach the gospel, to sing, and to all of that. So it's going to be awesome, hopefully. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. By the way, you guys know the girls' band? The girls up up front? That's pretty crazy, huh? Like all the musicians, all the singers are all girls. I have no idea what's going on with that, but that's pretty cool. You guys did a great job. But. Uh, we're going to, it's going to be basic community groups. We're going to gather on the weekends to worship. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to keep the, the week calendar as clear as we possibly can. There's some stuff that we can't get around. We're going to try to keep it as clear as we possibly can. Because if you're supposed to be sharing life deeply with your community group, you have to have time to do that. And if you together individually and together as a family and together as a community group are going to be living life on mission, making disciples, you've got to have some time to do that. And if we're at the church all the time, working and doing things, like that's cool stuff, but we're not making disciples by doing that. So we want to mobilize each other in efforts to do that. And then in the future, our goal is to plant other churches. We want to plant other churches, first of all, in this area, because it's a fractured area. And as Dale and Keecher know, if you live in Surfside and the churches in Carolina Forest, it may as well be in Japan. Because they're like, that's crazy. I don't drive all up to Carolina Forest from Surfside. And if you live in North Myrtle Beach, you never ever go to Myrtle's Inlet or, or to Conway unless you absolutely have to. Like, like you're evacuating from a hurricane. That's the only reason you would go that way. So we want to have a doxa in North Myrtle Beach and a doxa in the South End, a doxa in Carolina Forest, a doxa maybe even in Loris. I don't know what God will do. All over the place so that whenever it comes to Inviting people that you live around and work around to church, it's easy for them to come. And that so there's a community group meeting in your area, and there's a weekend gathering where we celebrate in that area, where we share a common leadership, common budget, common mission, common vision, but we make it easy for people to come and worship together and live in community together. Then we're going to hopefully plant churches elsewhere. 
I've got my eye already. Like Megan's like, we haven't even planned this church yet. Why are you thinking about other things? I got my eyes on, you know, who knows what God would do. I got my eyes on downtown Charleston. I'm thinking of intrigued by Raleigh, uh, Boston, really high on my list. And and we just got that from Pittsburgh. And I really, I, I honestly think. There's, there's, there's very little going on in Pittsburgh for the sake of the gospel, and it's, it's wide open. The economy's growing. There's all kinds of things going on. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, we'll bring the whole light, flames, and smoke, and me ejecting out of this inside joke. The white suit. Yeah, the white suit, all that stuff. Anyway, I digress. But it means, well, you know what? There are parts of the vision that I haven't yet thought of. We have to flesh it out, and we get to flesh that out together because we own that Together. So as we covenant together, we own each other. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about slavery. I'm just talking about we have, we have a responsibility to each other. Number two, we own the mission. Number three, we own the vision. 